I'm admittedly probably a weird person, and I also admittedly have had a lot of different conversations in bars over the years with both genders. It's weird because, and obviously this is going to vary by person, but normally when you're a teenage boy, as I was probably two decades ago, young boys talk about sex seemingly all the time. I'm sure young girls do too, but I wasn't privy to those conversations at that time because I was generally a fat, awkward adolescent. But as dudes get older, potentially out of a focus on work or respect for their partner, they tend to discuss sex less, and women tend to discuss it a little bit more, which is cool, but broadly I feel like no one is having really transparent discussions on the topic, and that can be problematic. I met Molly Bentley, who's the guest on this episode, via Twitter. We became friends quickly, and we would periodically talk about sex and relationships. She's been with her husband about 27 years, and they have two kids in the Cincinnati area. There's this big sitcom-driven concept that sex is dead inside long-term relationships, and especially after kids. I definitely know people for whom that's true. I also know people for whom that's exactly the opposite. Molly and I talk a lot about that near the middle to the back part of this episode. You'll also get thoughts on miscarriages, the role of social media in our world, sex as a habit, the weird work and personal lines that we draw around ourselves, and the big difference between how we grow up and how we're expected to move through adulthood. The audio on this episode is pretty strong, but around the three-quarter mark of it, my dog was pacing around and fidgeting, so I had to take him out. You might hear some elevator pings as a result. My bad on that. Let's pick it up talking about parenting. I think the one thing I do decent is parenting. And probably part of that stems from the fact that it did, it was quite a process to even get to the point of having kids. So my, I had, three miscarriages prior to having my first son. One of them, I was almost in my third trimester. So it was pretty devastating. And during that time that we were trying to have kids, so I got married when I was 25 and we were trying to have kids for like two years in, I was 27. We started trying and I was in a position, it was an HR role, but I was an HR department of one and I kept staying in this, this company because I thought it would work really well as a as scheduling wise and, and uh, just just it would work really well with being a parent. And so I stayed in a role in a company that was I wasn't really developing career wise, but I thought it would pair well with parenthood. So I stayed there longer than I should have as I was trying to have kids and having a really hard time. So I left that company and decided my husband and I we were basically told we weren't going to be able to have children on our own. And so I left that company and went to go work for Paycor, which is a, you know, payroll processing company. At the time they only had about 400 employees and I thought I'm really going to work on on a uh, career. And I, I get there and I was there <laughs> 4 weeks and I got pregnant. And I had a terrible pregnancy, uh, vertigo and, and morning sickness the entire time I was because I had decided I didn't want to go back to work full time once I had the baby. 
So at like seven months into my pregnancy, I ended up resigning. And um, so getting to even having the, the initial first baby was a journey that um in in one point i actually sat in my car in a parking lot crying and not a very religious person but i like gave it up to god and said if you want me to have a kid then it's it's all in, on your in your hands right that's so, a chance man that's get, be- it's beautiful in a way though um and i could see obviously the correlation between um the process taking a long time and then kind of like trying to be more excellent at motherhood. Um, Okay. So this is a thing I think people struggle with sometimes. Did you, so if you're like 42, 43 right now, we're talking like in the early stages that y'all were trying to have that first kid, it was maybe what, like early social media era, like potentially like very early stages. I joined social media. I joined Twitter while I was pregnant with my first son. And I joined Facebook like when he was two or three months old. Okay. So I, and I just wrote about this the other day on my blog. I weirdly, and, and I think this coincides with this like busy and comparison. So because I did both of those things at the same time, I became a parent and I joined social media and got, and, re- and really involved with it. I was on LinkedIn and I had MySpace, but that's when I really got involved in social media in a big way. It, it, it became, I, I'm not sure if that like comparison and the time drain of social media was that, or it, it was also coupled with becoming a parent and what that does to your sense of time and how many things you have on your plate and so I did both of those things at the same time so I have like no comparison what it's like to be a parent without social media right so was there any in the phase where you were still trying to have your first son um was Mm -hmm. there any like were you in any comparison mode had you been on like social at that point at all or not really like at 27 or so uh, it was more, that was less social compared, okay. like social media comparison. That was more all of the people around me were having babies. I remember going to baby showers and, and it was really painful for me to go to baby showers. I worked with a girl who would smoke cigarettes and drink Diet Coke and pop babies out like every other day. <laughs> it felt yeah. like, and she yeah. did not take care of herself. And she would literally be outside smoking cigarettes with a big old three or four month pregnant belly. And I'd be like, what? I just had a miscarriage a week ago. Like right. it, it just didn't seem fair. So yeah, there was that comparison. And and I will say the world has changed a lot in the last 15 years as to even being acceptable to talk about a miscarriage. And I was never ashamed of it because I didn't feel like it was my fault, but people would whisper and hush hush around me. And then I got to the point where I just put it out there. I was ballsy about it. And when people would say to me, not knowing my circumstances, the most rude question in the world is, well, when are you going to have some kids? Why don't you have kids? And I would say things like, <laughs> I mean, I just got really ballsy back with people. I'd say things like, well, I don't know. I've had three miscarriages. I don't know if God wants this in God's plan or not. We'll see. And it would shut those nosy people up to no end. And I, I, I loved seeing the look of shock on their face, honestly. <laughs> Because it's yeah. so obnoxious to even ask that question. No, it's ridiculous. And it kind of, it feels like it comes from this, like, 
grandparent generation um, where even it's like people just don't understand. I don't know if it's a religious thing or not. Obviously, there's ties to religion with it, but it, people don't understand, like, why would it's almost like you see these like 60 year couples at the grandparent level. Right. And they've spent all this time together, but like they can't conceptualize why two people would be together other than to immediately produce offspring. And it's like, that always felt weird to me. Like when I went to other people's showers or like christenings or whatever, it's like that, immediate like pre post World War Two US generation, it feels like they can't understand like their logic is like, okay, well, these two people got married, so like within a year we should expect this announcement or whatever. And I think that's probably mm-hmm. increasingly getting slower. And so, you know, obviously sure. that generation's getting older slash like sadly dying out. So I don't know um if that Gen X parenting generation is going to have the same expectations. Like we'll still see what happens with that generationally, but that's like a, I always thought that was like a weird thing where it was like, I went to probably like, I think you tell me you got married in Oh one, probably like Oh five to Oh seven. I went to like so many weddings and you would, you would just like grandparents would be like, well, you know, like they're going to end up with like four kids or whatever. And you're like, you don't even know if that's their plan. (laughs) It's just like Mm -mm. this assumption almost, you know? Um, And like, we've talked about this a couple of times on other like dynamics or threads, but like, what do you see? What do you see as, like, the big push? It's obviously not, like, friend comparison. All that stuff can be annoying. Do you think it's just, like, uh, female uh, woman genetics or, like, just, like, the the desire to procreate? Like, do you have a sociological, psychological theory? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's, like, oh, man, my four neighbors had babies. Like, I'm sure that drives some people. But beyond that, what do you think it is? I think it's honestly, I think it is a deep rooted. It's an instinct to want to have a kid for most people. And, and maybe if you have other, other uh, motivations or goals, maybe, but, and I, I will say too, I was sort of lost career wise. And that's a really good out if you're a woman. Well, I'll just have a baby. <laughs> and I, I, and um, that's being really honest. And I probably have never vocalized that before. But to be able to, if, if you have a baby, then you, it's at least 10 years ago, probably maybe a little less now, but 10, 15 years ago, if you had a baby, well, all right, you can stay home. Nobody's going to judge. Nobody's going to look down on you. At least in, in the middle class realm that I'm, living in or that I've existed in for most of my life. It, if you, if you have a baby and you decide you're going to be focused, most of your energies on that, nobody's going to judge you. Now, if you're a dude, it doesn't, it's not quite that easy, but I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I'd fallen into this HR role at this, this uh, salon that had about 80 employees. And I, I hated that I was in the beauty industry because it just went it went against everything I thought I wanted to be when I was younger, but I felt yeah. sort of 
trapped and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I, here I am in this role I hate and my husband really wanted kids. And I was like, sweet, this will give me, you know, that gives me an excuse to not be overly ambitious in my career. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. It's not that I'm not ambitious because if I get excited about something, I'm all in baby, but I didn't know what I wanted to do or be. So I thought, okay, kids, that's great. And then I didn't do that well either. So I went through a serious issue with anxiety and depression. Like, I think I told you one day I had, uh, I, I got so anxious after my second miscarriage, I think that I crocheted for 48 hours straight so much so that my fingers started bleeding my husband he came home from work and I was crocheting and he was kind of like well she's having a rough day and then he went to bed and I crocheted all night and he got up and I was still crocheting and he was like well I guess she'll be okay when I get home sure dinner will be on the table and when he came home from work that night I was still crocheting in the same spot and then the next morning he ended up calling my mom like I don't know what to do with her (laughs) yeah I mean that's uh that's intense but it's also like feel like that's one of those stories that is more common than we think. It's just like people don't talk about it, right? So right. I I met I met a couple a couple years ago. So two things. First, I met a couple who had three miscarriages and then on the fourth they had a kid. And every one of the three miscarriages was like 12 weeks and one day so whatever that is like Mm. 85 days so like all three were on the same day so on the kid they actually had it was like holy shit like okay well we got today 86 so like maybe there's a window here right but they were still like kind of white knuckling it and then oh yeah to your point too about the acceptance of it uh, I'm not a religious person either, but in the last like probably two years, I've gone to church more and I met some people through church where one of their friends from like a place I lived before here had a stillborn kid and they posted oh, pictures of the stillborn kid on Facebook and Some people went nuts, which is like, we can get into another topic on that, where it's like, I don't understand why you would go nuts at somebody posting that. Like, I get that it might be aggressive or weird to see, but I also think it's like, this is how, I think the woman posted it. It's like, well, this is one way that they try to cope. And then since I heard that story, I also learned that there's like a whole photo business in some parts of the country where people take like elegant stillborn baby photos or whatever and that's like a thing people will pay like decent money for so i do but see but see that but but see that if if somebody has had a miscarriage you don't want it feels like a loss and you don't want people to forget it and so if you want that, that, that person went all the way term, they have a stillborn baby. They loved that baby up until the moment they still do. So the, 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 the idea of nobody knowing it existed and, and, and it being forgotten completely and hiding it, I think that would make it too much to bear. So I get why they do it. I don't know that I would choose that if I were in that circumstance, but I might. 
Yeah, so it takes us to another thing you and I have talked about, which is just like, I don't want to totally rabbit hole social media because obviously there's like a million things there. And you and I actually became friends mm-hmm. through like those types of platforms. So like there is value in it for sure. Um, but something we've sure. talked about that I think sure. is interesting that like people definitely like mid 20s to mid 40s struggle with is like what okay do you think like the whole this is gonna sound like oh man i'm over prescribing it but do you think like the whole social media era has like made it like not that like less people care but almost like that where it's like it just feels like People are like, oh, I have so much crap to manage between, like, my family and my job and, like, these different platforms I'm on. And, like, even though it's really easy to, like, share something on behalf of another person, we, like, don't even do that. Or do you think that it's, like, made um, connection, like, more transactional? Like, what's your overall, like, hot take on it? So... Me personally, I am a relationship person. That's that like my disc assessment, my eye is through the roof. So me personally, I have made some really great connections. Not you know, you're one of them, but I've made a lot of really great connections on social media that have either become in-person connections and, and that, you know, friendships, relationships that have grown and evolved. But so I think that there is a lot of value. However, it is anytime something is really easy to do, it, it loses value in a way. So, you know, 20 years ago, if you wanted to send somebody a letter or 30, let's say, you would have to actually write it out, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, take it to the, take it to the post office. Like that took real effort. So, but now it's just so easy to do that it, it it's less valuable yeah i'd agree and so, like i mean you, you told me a story once that i thought was interesting and it, i've seen it like literally 30 plus times where like it's weird because it's like the crap is easy to do but at the same time people still won't necessarily do it right where it's like i see all the time people post on linkedin like hey you know, like, I'm out here as a candidate, like, I'm not having success. Like, I literally see that, like, 15 times a week, right? And it's like... Yeah, And then too. it's like, okay, so you and I have talked about this a couple of times, but, like, you will, like... And I try to do the same where I have any connection or clout, but, like, if you see stuff like that, like human nature to me would dictate like okay reach out to that person see where they're at see like what the issue is or whatever or like see if you can help them in some way connect them with somebody but there's like this weird dynamic where it feels like we don't do that even though like the tech side of it makes it easier like maybe it's like become too transactional and obviously like look some people still help each uh, other maybe and I'm, I'm not saying that's like gone forever but i feel like um it's weird because it feels like because it's like too easy maybe there's like a paradoxical part of it where like 
people don't do it as much as they could either, you know? I, but I, I don't think that they ever have. I, and, and the thing about it is when I see somebody who is saying, hey, I'm looking for a job or I'm looking for connections here. If I can, if I can help them, I, I think I told you last week, I helped two different people get interviews at two separate companies, two friends of mine who are looking for work. And I connected them with the right person that I happen to know there. I do that kind of thing all the time. I don't feel that that is returned to me as much as I put out there, but I continue to do it because I, it's just who I am and I'm not going to change who I am. I, I feel like I'm very genuine to who I am online in the words I use, the language, the, the, my demeanor, the way I treat other people. I'm very, I'm the same person online as I am in person but I think there's this like disconnect. It's the same thing. Like if you, if you see somebody, okay, I'm at a, my kid's soccer game or they don't play soccer, my kid's baseball game. And I see another mom who I saw on her Facebook wall that she had a birthday. Some people will ignore that. Like not, not even say happy birthday or, or oh, I saw your cousin got married or whatever, even though they know it. So there's like this weird gray area where we all know what's going on in each other's lives but we don't acknowledge yeah. it. That's, that's like, so that bizarre to me, to me. is like, that's so bizarre. 100%. That's like maybe the most bizarre aspect of modernity. Right? Okay. So I've been with my husband for 27 right. years. <laughs> it's been a minute. Now we were apart for a while while I was in college and he was in plumbing school. So, you know, it, we haven't always been together, but for the bulk of that, I've been with him for 27 years. Sex has been, and I'm a very sexual person. So it's been an important part of my, it's a big part of who I am. It's a big part of, uh, it's important to me. And that's not, I don't think that's the case with all women. So I'm probably coming from, I think it's important to them, but a lot of them put it on the back burner when they right. have kids and they just figure they're not going to be sexual anymore. Right. They want to be a mother. For me, in a lot of ways, I think it ramped up for me. Once I had kids, it was like, well, I want to hold on to the things that matter to me even more. And I didn't want to lose myself in being a mother. So plus... By the time I had kids, I was in my mid to late thirties, which is, you know, that's when the peak your, my body was saying, it's your last chance to have a baby. So you best be getting at it. Um, there, and honestly, in my twenties, I was less. So when we were first married, I was probably more the, Oh, I have a headache. I don't feel like it right now tonight. Kind of girl more often than I am now. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure thing now. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so once, once I had kids, I, I, I ramped up and what I've learned is for us would, if we go a period without being sexually active, even if it's a few days, we start to get crabby with each other. So it's one of, it's one of the biggest ways that we communicate and that we stay on the same wavelength. And if that gets out of whack for whatever reason, we are not, we just don't get along as well. Right. That was such a shock 
that we barely spoke for probably the first six months that we had those they had two really? at the same time because we yeah. just didn't there's just so much to do and it's overwhelming and and we've been married seven years before we had one kid so we had our own lives essentially in a lot of ways and then we had to combine that but once we once we got over that hump and i think my hormones ramped up about that same time and i got i was more ready to go at, at the drop of a hat our relationship improved immensely and right. we started communicating because kind of an egg situation but because we were having more sex we were talking more and getting along more or if it's vice versa but right sex is such a huge communication outlet for yep. it's such a huge mode of communication for married couples and so many married couples don't have sex and they just grow further and further apart yep and i think that's like a huge thing that uh, it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's not talked about because I feel like it's acknowledged. If you went to a bunch of happy hours that are populated by men, it would probably be like <laughs> a number one mode of bitching in a lot of ways, right? So I think it's acknowledged, but I think it's like people kind of like just accept that it's a thing that's going to happen and they don't make an effort to improve it, Right. And one thing that's like interesting in this whole context is as a guy at a university of Washington who has researched that it's like 92% of the reasons that people end marriages versus leave jobs is the same down to even like the asshole manager thing where one <laughs> partner in a relationship is like taking too much control right so uh-huh. there's like people like we draw this thick line between work and personal but like the reasons we embrace or abandon things in both cases are very similar you know um, I don't know why, so, why do we draw such a strong line between work and like I don't quite get that you know, 200 years ago, the blacksmith didn't work nine to five. If if somebody needed a shoe on their horse at nine o'clock at night, you'd get out of bed and go do it. Right. Like, I, I, I don't get what, and, and he was Tom or whatever, you know, this guy, Paul Revere, whoever he is, I guess he was a silversmith and not a blacksmith. But this guy would, would, would you know, they, they went to church with people, the same people in the community and, and. And it would see each other getting a cup of coffee in the morning. That's probably a really, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like 200 years ago, people did not have this strict line between professional and personal. They, they were, if you were, even if you were an attorney that it, it wasn't like I work from nine to five or this is when I'm this person. And then outside of that, I'm this other person. Discipline is uh, at least something sure. to be desired. <laughs> so I've been approaching exercise. <laughs> yeah, I've been approaching exercise. And this is the first thing that I've been doing this for four months now. As I've, been, I've made this like mental shift where I think about it as I do flossing and brushing my teeth. 
Yeah. It's just something I have to do every day. It's not optional. It's just part of my routine. And I think on that same, to that point, sex is the same way with your, if you're married and maybe if you're not, I mean, I, I think it's good for your, your physical and mental well-being to have that release. But if you are not having sex with your partner on a regular basis, your right. relationship is deteriorating quickly. And maybe in order for you to get to the point where it is pleasurable, and I have been there where I have approached it like a chore because it's something I don't want, that's the wrong way of putting it. Sorry, Jason. But um, it, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily a chore, but it's something that if you don't do, you start to suffer. So you have to, it is like taking out the trash. Right. If you don't take out the trash, it starts to stink. I think that, again, it's like a topic that for some reason, I know you've said that, like, as your boys get older, you guys talk about it more, which is good. But for some reason, like a lot of families and parents view it as like this gauche topic that you're never supposed to bring up. But it's like, it's essential to human existence in that it even creates you, you know? So it's just funny that people are like unwilling to mm-hmm. more broadly discuss it. Actually, when I turned 40, I started making a list of 40 things that I know. And uh, so I have a whole list of those things. I'll kind of tap into them. One of them is boys like fart jokes. So just, you know, crazy things that I know for sure. But, but I think the biggest thing that I've learned in recent years is that failure and it, failure is essential. And learning how to, like, forgive myself when I don't succeed immediately or when I, when I switch gears or it, that's something I've really struggled with my whole life. And it's held me back in a lot of ways. Like I think my career has suffered immensely because I, I was afraid to take leaps because I didn't think that I would, I would be able to do things. The other big thing that I know for certain and the older I get, and this is very cliche, but the older you get, the less you care about other people's opinions and so I'm more apt to say what I think and, and not be as not, not, not worry so much if people think, uh, you know, I'm talking about my sex life or this, other, like what people think about that, because it's who I am. It's my, it's true to me. So who are you to judge? And so that's, it's very cliche, but the older I get, the more I, just feel more myself and I'm more open to being, putting myself out there. The, probably the biggest thing, and this is number one on my list of, it's 42 things I know I need to update it here in a month, is that I'm never going to be younger than I am in this very moment. I'm never going to be prettier. I'm never going to be younger. I'm never going to be smarter, maybe not smarter, but I'm never going to be younger than I am in this very moment. So, embrace it do what you want like if i if i wait five years i'm just gonna be five years older and less capable probably i have less energy and i think that's something that's like when you're when you're a kid and you're in school you're always waiting well you can't 
you can't get your driver's license until you're 16 and you can't you can't go to college till you go until you graduate from high school and you can't get a job until you graduate from college like there's all these things that you're supposed to do in a specific order and so your brain kind of gets trained to think I'll do that after I do x or after I do y and and it's really hard to get out of that once you're like 25 like you said that mid like this is the age range that you're really exploring with this this experiment or podcast whatever you're calling it you don't have a path there's no clear path there's no if i do x i'll get y anymore but you're you spend your whole first 25 years living that yeah and it's it's confusing and and so you have that 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 that's what causes this whole angst because you're so used to if i do x i'll get y and once you're really in the in the adult years, it doesn't work that way. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Molly. She's easily findable on Twitter and LinkedIn if you want to connect with her more. That was the second episode, and we're starting to roll along with these. Next up is a guy building a mobile home empire in his early 30s who's going to encourage all of you to stop playing the victim, which is advice that I need, too. That should be on the site on Monday, September 30th. Have a great weekend.